Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino this year. I was only playing for fun, so winning this was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's number one social casino experience. It's serious fun. With over 80 casino-style games to choose from, you too could win life-changing amounts of cash. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumbaCasino.com and give them a whirl. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice in the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of a winner. Drivers, start your engines! Get the pace car! What for? Because you hit any other damn thing out there, I want you to be perfect! When I'm driving, I got a guy on the radio who talks to me. It's him. He talks to me. Good evening, race fans. Welcome to the Draft in the Circuit Radio Show on the Hoobazoo Network. My name is Frank Santoroski. I'll be your host for the next hour as we talk about uh, a big week in racing. A lot of uh, on-track news for Formula One and some uh, definitely a lot of off-track news uh, in other places. Joining me in the studio, Richard Uden, Louise Torres. Fellas, how are we doing? Very good. Yourself? Wonderful. Hey. It's been going. Glad all of us are here around, especially the way the week has unfolded. Yes. Yes. The week has unfolded. Yes. I, I want to, I had a lot of people um, that, that, uh, that listen to the show, reach out to me, ask me if I'm okay, because uh, I do live here in Kentucky uh, where, where part of our state was just absolutely battered uh, by tornadoes. But uh, I want to thank all those people to reach out to me and, uh, see that I was okay, but the, most of the, all the damaging weather was uh, thankfully west of me. Uh, but uh, there were other folks who were not quite as fortunate, um, including folks that I know and, and family members who really having a tough time. So, uh, but but anyway, that's uh, totally off topic. Uh, now on topic, um, here we are again, having to eulogize another racing great. Um, and I was, it, it really felt like a gut punch the other morning when I, I opened up my phone and started scrolling through my newsfeed and see that, uh, Al Unser senior had lost his, uh, battle with cancer that he'd been fighting for the last 17 years. And it's, uh, yeah, you know, especially hurts even worse because, uh, you know, we lost his brother, Bobby, just, uh, back in May, uh, as well as, uh, Bobby Unser's son, Bobby Jr., had died in between there. But uh, I mean, my gosh, Al Unser is um, as somebody referred to him. One of my friends, when we were talking about this, as he was like a, a Michael Jordan style, a Michael Jordan level athlete. Uh, and as far as motor racing concerned, and, and I guess that, that holds water. I mean, his name is, you know, a lot of times you hear the names, Petty Andretti Foyt mentioned in the, who's the best American driver ever. And, and a lot of times answers will creep into that conversation. And I don't, I don't think Al Unser's name creeps in there enough uh, because the guy really was talented. Uh, he was definitely not as outspoken um, or loud uh, as uh, some of his other contemporaries are or, or were, uh, but he got the job done. He certainly did. And, you know, my own, experiences with uh watching al unser 
senior race beginning about 1979. The first uh, kart race I went to, I was able to obtain his autograph. He was driving for Jim Hall, driving the Chaparral, which was a beautiful car based off of the Lotus 79. If you recall the, the yellow submarine, they like to call that one. And then, you know, at, at the end of that year, there a very questionable decision by um, Al Unser to walk away from that because that went on to be the, the dominant car of the following year. Uh, and there's a couple of conflicting stories as to why he left. One of the most popular ones is that uh, he didn't like the fact that uh, Jim Hall took a lot of credit for the design when in fact it was John Barnard who did the bulk of the designing, but either way, that's neither here nor there. Al walked away to uh, an opportunity with Longhorn racing. Uh, whereas the chaparral was based on the, the Lotus 79, the, the Longhorn was pretty much a copy um, of the Williams FW 07. And when I say it was a copy, it was made with a lot of parts from the Williams factory with a set of, blueprints provided by Williams. So, I mean, for all intents and purposes, it was a Williams FW07 converted to IndyCar uh, suspension and size tires, although it, it didn't work uh, because the FW07 was designed to operate um, efficiently with sliding skirts, which were not legal in IndyCar at the time. But, uh, you know, Al struggled with that team for three years. And again, the other prevailing theory as to why he left the Hall team and the Chaparral program was that um, Longhorn had offered him uh, a paycheck larger than anything he'd seen uh, in his previous career. And, and here's a guy who was already a two-time uh, champion and two-time Indy 500 winner. So he'd had some pretty good paydays, but uh, yeah, so that's, that's out there too. But after, you know, struggling with the Longhorn program for three years, he ends up with team Penske, right? And this, this part of Al's career, I just, I just love it because he's like, the, the thing that wouldn't leave or the, you know, the guy they couldn't get rid of uh, because, it, because if you, if you look at it, right, they hired him in 83, he wins a championship, right? They retain him in 84. He has not as good of a season. I think he winds up ninth in the championship and, and they let him go at the end of the year. They hired Danny Sullivan to replace him. Uh, and that's all done and, and said, and, and Al knows that he's departing at the end of the year. However, Towards the end of 84, Rick Mears has the accident in San Air, uh, where he has devastating injuries to his feet and has to sit out the bulk of uh, 1985. Uh, so Al, you know, is retained to be the fill-in for Rick Mears. So he responds by winning the championship. <laughs> you know, here's here's a guy, they're, they're, they're ready to, to go ahead and pull off the pasture, and he wins him another championship. So, so they retain him in, in 86 on just the oval only schedule and they let him go at the end of 86. Um, so 87, he's pretty much without a ride uh, at Indianapolis team Penske. They, they have an accident with daddy on guys. Daddy's not cleared to race. So again, Al Unser gets the call. Um, hey, can you come in, you know, fill in for Danny. Sure. He comes in to fill in for Danny wins the Indy 500. I'm like, why do you keep trying to get rid of this guy? You know what I mean? So, uh, but this, but that's just how resilient he was. And then he, he you know, he went on to race for uh, a number of other years. Um, I think he was the first guy to get a Buick engine to last 500 miles in Indy. Uh, yep. and finished. I think it's the, the only one. Yeah. I think it may, he, may be because yeah, the Buick engine was fast and would, they would often sit on the front row, but they were never there at the end of the race, but he was a, you know, he's the type of guy that could 
save the car. And, and, you know, he knew what the car was doing. He was very skilled with talking with his engineers. Um, and, and he really, you know, he, he, he was a consummate professional race car driver. So, yeah, um, and on top I, I mean, of that, I missed the guy. So Louise, you wanted to share some thoughts on, um, you know, Mr. Mount Rushmore, Al Osser. Yeah. And on top of that, he, he was, he was supposed to, he got to right after what happened to PK in 92. So initially that was not going to, that was not meant, that was not even going to happen. Who knows? So it kind of shows you that when given the opportunity, especially if it's a good top ride, even if it was the Buick, but it was quick, he delivered big time. And that's the one underrated element of Al Unser because I feel like, as you said, he doesn't get fully appreciated enough by a lot of people for what he has accomplished. I mean, look no further than 1978. When he won at first, before I jumped to 78, 1970, he eviscerated the whole entire field. He pretty much, not only he holds the record for most left sled in a, from a career perspective at Indianapolis at, what was it, 644, correct, Frank? Um, it's a lot. But yes, yeah, the yeah. most. Yeah, he's uh, the most laps. Yeah, I believe he's right up there as well for most laps led in a single 500 race that won it. Because I know what's it, Graham Hill, who had who led all but like no, somebody the Palma <laughs> led all like led almost the whole entire race, but <laughs> lost had some problems and lost that one that led more than Allen. Yeah, there's a guy that yeah early on it led 198 laps and 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 lost it right at the end. Yeah, but I believe Al Unser is the most. Laps led of a winning driver, yeah, in a race. Yeah, that was in '78, where nobody could touch him. Yeah, he just dominated in '70, and then look at his Hoosier 100 accomplishments. He won it four in a row, to four in a row, and then the Triple Crown, the Holy Grail for the longest time, the Holy Grail of IndyCar racing on an old to win the three 500 mile oval races, Pocono, Ontario, and Indy. Nobody has done it in a single year, and I think that should be appreciate it much more as well to show you how yeah, plus several, several wins at the Pikes Peak Hill climb as well, uh, as well as, you know, sports car wins and, and I rock wins. Um, yeah, this guy was, again, like I said, he doesn't creep into that best ever conversation as much as he should. And I think a lot of it has, just has to do with his quieter demeanor. Mm -hmm. Yeah, for sure. Because you have Al young and brash and then you have Bobby, the, the, you could consider outspoken, but also right on the money how he felt about a lot of things. Which is, which is all when you have those kind of personalities, it's always neat to see somebody that's kind of like in the middle that just gets the job done behind the wheel. And that's kind of what Al was. And the thing about it is, I talked about it about Robin and Bob when they passed on early this year. The same thing goes with Al because he was also there. For the 500 weekend, he got to drive one of Bobby's cars on on race day. So they do, do the pre-race parades and all that stuff. Just to think of it, that three people that were there are no longer with us. That's why, he, and I'll probably eventually get to that piece about looking back to this year's 500. I have to rewatch it, the broadcast, because I've yet to do so. Because it's just everything that's going on in life I haven't been able to. Just to take the time to look at it. But I feel like this year's 500 was truly the end of an era, of you know, in a way, and also just the fact that they were able to get all the four-time winners to get that one group photo in July. I think it's just you. They say evergreen moment. I think that's an evergreen moment that nobody will ever for forget because 
it's amazing that all four of them were had a moment together and share that bond for a few months because it's just kind of like a sad thing that we lost one of our four-time winners while we gained a new four-time winner and we kind of lost the world last one as far as livelihood of course forever he's a four-time winner but you know you catch by drift yeah i'm so glad they they had to fly al back out there in july for those photos because they, they, they could have taken those photos on monday i mean because they, they did a bunch of photos before the thing with the three four-time winners because there were only three at the time but uh you know al had left um indianapolis sunday after the race uh to he was wasn't feeling well was the word uh, so he didn't didn't hang out, so they weren't able to capture those photos when they did all the official photo shoots. But I'm so glad that they set that up um, and flew him back out there to go ahead and, and capture those photos in July because uh, that was, you know, realistically the last opportunity to do that. So, all right, yeah, Richard, no. Richard, any thoughts on Al Unser? No, I think you guys have, uh, you know, have, have covered his legacy pretty well. Though. I mean, certainly a name and a, a personality that will, will go down as, as a, you know, a defining, somebody that defined the sport. And, uh, you know, unfortunately, we've lost a lot of people in that sort of same mold and in, in, in many different forms of uh, motorsport this year. Um, but in, unfortunately, these things, you know, time sort of catches up on all of us and they, these things do appear to become more and more, um, you know, uh, you know, more and more um, frequent, which is, which is a great shame. And, it, you know, we do need to appreciate the, these these people and the their abilities when we when we have the opportunity to do so yeah these whole yeah it's a whole, whole generation of these these guys that really define the sports are all you know mm-hmm. getting to to that age where they're you know and they they're they were the first generation of the respective sports as well you know they they sort of were the, were the people that really took them from not part-time sports but certainly from not the sport that they are now you know, they progressed it a long way into that, uh, into that mold. Certainly. Yeah. So now speaking of which, here's a good segue. Uh, so speaking of these guys that are getting older, um, and it being kind of a changing of the guard kind of season as formula one wrapped up, I, I'm here wrapping my head around the fact that the three major series that we cover being formula one, IndyCar and NASCAR, all crown champions who are under 30 this year with, uh, of course, mm-hmm. Max Verstappen. Uh, taking the uh, Formula One crown there in Abu Dhabi. And uh, we'll get into that because uh, there's a lot to unpack there. Um, <laughs> and and it's just, it's uh, social media is still exploding uh, with, with reactions of it. And, and, and uh, there are people who feel very strongly one way or the other about the result. Uh, you know, some feel Lewis was robbed. Some feel everything was fair. Uh, a lot of people are calling for uh, Mike Massey's head um, race director. So um, Richard, I'll just let you kind of uh, take it away there. We started with Max Verstappen on pole. Yeah. Well, I think the story of the weekend actually goes back a little bit before then it goes back to the Saturday afternoon or Saturday evening in Abu Dhabi when uh, we had the qualifying session and, Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino this year. I was only playing for fun, so winning this was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's number one social casino experience. It's serious fun. With over 80 casino-style games to choose from, you too could win life-changing amounts of cash. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumbaCasino.com and give them a whirl. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice in the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of a winner. 
Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino this year. I was only playing for fun, so winning this was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's number one social casino experience. It's serious fun. With over 80 casino-style games to choose from, you too could win life-changing amounts of cash. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumbaCasino.com and give them a whirl. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice in the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of a winner. The, the strategy for the race, as, as those of you who, who follow Formula One closely, will be that the tyres the that you use in to set your fastest lap time in Q2 are the tyres that you use to start the race on. And both the Mercedes and the Red Bull are typically fast enough to get through the second qualifying stage with the medium tyre. The, they're not as fast as the soft tyre but they are the better tyre to start the race on. So if you have the raw speed in the car to be quicker than your competitors uh, on the on the medium tyre than they are on the soft, then that's the strategy you want to play. And, and both Mercedes and McLaren and Red Bull, sorry, were doing that perfectly well. And then I think it was on actually on, on Max's in-lap, on his slow lap, when he locked the, uh, I think it was front left, front right, going into turn one. Um, and, and as soon as you lock a tire, you know, flat spots that increase vibration, you really do not want to be doing that. So Max had to go back out after that on a, on a set of soft tires, set a faster slap, which meant that he then started the race on the soft tire, whereas Lewis was starting on the, on the medium tire. So, you know, Max took a great pole position uh, in Q3 for, ahead of Hamilton, you know, um, Red Bull played the strategy and the toe fantastically well and even if they hadn't I still think Max would have been on pole the, the gap there was pretty big and I think that uh, um, Max would have still got that pole position there even if um, Checo hadn't given him that toe but uh, yeah Checo drove, you played the game perfectly there uh, so, so going into, into the race itself you know you have Max on pole on the soft tyre Lewis second on the medium tyre and you think that immediately would put Max at a huge advantage, being eight meters ahead of Lewis going into the first, you know, on the on the line, and with the soft tire, which in theory should give you a better start. But um, Max had a very very poor reaction time. Um, you know, he was, I mean, and to us mere mortals, point one of a second is nothing, but to those guys, that's night and day. And <coughs> excuse me, as you saw, Lewis got into turn one ahead of Max, which was I don't think anybody really expected that. Uh, and they, they battled the way through the uh, first section of the lap there, through the revised um, turn five, which is a hairpin now, rather than the, uh, the slow chicane and into a hairpin onto the first of the two back straights, if you like, which are the prime overtaking spots on the circuit. And going down into turn, I think it's six and seven now, uh, at the end of the back stretch, Max did fantastically to, to get alongside Hamilton and get up the inside. And, Max genuinely outbroke Hamilton to my mind. Yeah, he went in deep and he he almost ran out of track, but he did manage to keep the car on the track. And, you know, he did go very, very deep into the corner. And, and Lewis ran wide because you know, Max was in his way. But to, to avoid, you know, Hamilton having to slow down and yield the position to Lewis, he to, to Max, he actually went through the, the AstroTurf runoff and, um, you know, regained well ahead of Verstappen, you know, almost two seconds. Now, there was obviously instantly, there was this whole back and forth between the, 
um, you know, prince, the team principals and the, the race directors of each team to the, um, or the, the head of trackside operations normally, um, you know, at, at Mercedes and Red Bull respectively through to the FIA stewards. Now, the call was that Hamilton gave, Hamilton obviously gave an advantage, had an advantage from that. And he, according to the FIA, or the race stewards, gave back that advantage and slowed down enough to, to get Max back into the similar position. But personally, I don't think that was the case. I don't think it was the same situation as we saw in Brazil a few weeks ago where Max was deemed to have pushed Lewis off the road. I don't think Max pushed Lewis off the road. I think Max made the corner. He made the apex. He didn't run all four tyres off the track. Lewis could have made that corner if he'd slowed down and yielded the position to Lewis, to, to Max. But he didn't. He took to the escape road or took, you know, shortcut the chicane and came up well ahead. So I think that was the first issue that the stewards had um, throughout yeah, the race. That one, that one was a bit confusing to me that they decided to take no action yeah. on that because it I mean, if they wanted to, yeah, when they said he gave back the advantage, it certainly didn't look like that to me because he was no, two seconds ahead. I mean, if, if you're talking, like it gained ground from going through that cutoff. He gained a huge amount because if you're talking about an advantage, Max before either of them left the track, Max was ahead of Lewis, so that was the advantage to my mind. So I was very, very surprised at that call, I must admit. Um, but that is what it is. Ed, we settled down into a routine and a rhythm, and Lewis was there on his medium tyres ahead of Max on the soft, which was, I mean, you couldn't have picked a better starting scenario for the Mercedes team there. You know, they got uh, got Lewis ahead. You know, He was able to control the pace of the race, control his medium tyres, and Max you know, on the soft tires was really struggling. And after a few laps, the soft tires did as was expected, did started to degrade and give way. And, you know, Max was, was dropping back at a fair old rate, you know, almost half a second a lap. And I think he got down to about five or six seconds behind Hamilton. So it gave Mercedes the opportunity just to purely react to what, um, what, what Verstappen did. So Verstappen pitted, went onto the hard tire, which was hopefully going to get him through to the end of the race. Um, and Mercedes reacted. Now, where Perez then came into play, because that then put uh, Hamilton behind Checo. And for a lap and a half, two laps there, Checo drove a masterfully slow lap that held Hamilton up by four or five seconds. I mean, it was a... I, I, it sounds silly. It was a work of art in how to slow somebody down. And Hamilton actually got past Checo at one point, and then Checo got back past him again. You know, it was fantastic to watch. It was, I know it sounds really, really silly, but it was world class driving. And then eventually, obviously, Hamilton got back and held the position. Um, and then Checo let Max through. But, uh, you know, Max was on the radio saying, you know, Checo, that is you know, fantastic. That was, you know, worth its weight in gold. And uh, yeah, great move, great move, and and, and really brought Lewis, back, uh, sorry Max, back into into play, but it never really sort of played out, and there was never really an opportunity to you know for for, for Max to catch Hamilton at any sort of real um, real pace, and then of course we saw one of the saddest things of the weekend, I think, but one of the things we didn't really want to see was. Um, it looked like uh, Kimmy had a break by wire issue uh, and retired from his final 
Formula One race um, after a phenomenal career, you know, 20 year career. And, you know, it's a shame to see him go, but that's just, you know, the, you know his, his time was up really. And he just wanted to, he wants to go off and do something else. And Alpha want to bring him some new, new blood. Um, we then saw George Russell retire uh, from the, uh, from the race. So again, his last race with Williams uh, before he moves over to Mercedes was, was a, you know, it's a shame to see him finish in that way. Um, and then it's and then things started to unfold a little bit. You had Giovinazzi had a, another issue of some sort, and he had to stop on track. He couldn't get back to the pits, and that resulted in a virtual safety car. So the cars maintain a reduced speed limit. I think it's forty percent of the maximum to, of the top speed. So it it sort of um, freezes the running order, and in theory should freeze the gap between cars. But what it does mean is if you make a pit stop, then relatively you're losing a lot less time during a virtual safety car pit stop than you are a real pit stop or a live pit stop. So, you know, Verstappen came in, got a new set of hard tyres and ended up being about 20 seconds behind Hamilton with about 20 laps to go. Maybe maybe it was a little bit less than that, maybe 18 seconds with 20 laps to go. And, and you know, Verstappen started, once the race resumed, Verstappen started to make inroads, but nothing huge. Um, and, you know, Hamilton was in control. You know, they were writing his name, engraving his name in the trophy there for eight-time world champion. And, you know, they even had Christian Horner live on the, on the, pit, on the pit wall there come through. And, uh, you know, he was pretty dejected, you know, with about 10 laps to go. He says, you know what, All right, Lewis has just been too quick today. And, uh, you know, we need a miracle here to, 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 for anything to happen. And goodness me, wouldn't you know it, they got it. Um, Latifi span um, and hit the wall pretty hard, causing a lot of debris. And you know, full safety car came out. Um, now, now, of course, now Mick Schumacher was involved in that Latifi wreck. And as well. well, yeah, but that when I all Mick did was run Latifi wide, and then five or six corners later, you know, uh, Latifi had dirt on his tires and span. I don't think that it wasn't like it was a coming together and Latifi crashed out. I think the the, the close contact between Mick and Latifi was at turn nine and Latifi crashed out on turn 15. So there was a quite a bit of real estate between the two incidents, I think. And well, I think that certainly, was yeah, but, but that has a little stopped. bit of but yeah, that hasn't stopped keyboard warriors. That hasn't oh, yeah, stopped your conspiracy theorists from saying that uh, Mick was out to make sure he'd def- oh, please. Protect, protect his dad's seven-time record. Yeah, so. What which- a load of guts. Anyway, yes. Anyway, yeah, let's, let's, let's get back anyway, to real facts. Yeah, real facts, yes. So the TV crashed out, full safety car with five laps to go, I think it was. Now, a safety car period for a wreck like that is typically about five or six laps. It's, it's pretty pretty close. But that gave Max the opportunity to pit and put on soft tyres. Do you want to the red? You know, there was Hamilton on probably 30, almost 30 lap old hard tyres and Verstappen threw on a brand new set of soft tyres, which would probably be three or four seconds a lap faster under normal circumstances. It's difficult to, to, to put a you know a real number on. But Verstappen did have one big problem. He had four or five lapped cars between himself and Hamilton. Now, this is where I think the problem started to arise. It's a very grey area in the rules. Unlike NASCAR, where I think it's pretty clear-cut, and IndyCar probably is pretty clear-cut, in Formula 1, at the race director's discretion, in this case Michael Messi, he can allow for lapped cars to unlap themselves and rejoin the tail end of the pack. 
and that's done for numerous reasons, uh, for safety reasons mainly. And and I think typically that came in from when we had some wet races and they didn't want some of the guys back in the pack who were maybe up in the high end of the points to be hampered by spray from, from lapped cars. Now, it was getting very close to the end of the race, two laps to go when Massey made the announcement that these five cars between Hamilton and Verstappen could be allowed back through which would then have a one-lap shootout with Hamilton on the hard tire, old hard tires, and Verstappen on the new soft. Where the issue Or in arose, other words, with Hamilton as a sitting duck. Basically. Yeah, yeah, basically, yeah. Yeah. Now, where the issue arose is that there was other cars further back in the pack that were also lapped that were behind Verstappen, but they weren't allowed to pass Verstappen or whoever, you know, they weren't allowed to do the same sequence. And if they had, the race probably wouldn't have had time to restart. So Michael Massey made the decision to only allow these first five to pass to put Hamilton and Verstappen next to each other in the pack and leave everybody else where they were. Now, that a lot of people, and Hamilton even said on the radio that that has been manufactured, or I can't remember the exact word Hamilton used. Manipulated, yes, thank you. So, yeah, and to a certain extent, it, it, it was. But I, for a start, I think I think something that will come out of this, and, and a lot of people said, the rules need clarifying. There needs to be hard and fast rules. Here. This is what happens under these situations. There's no interpretation. I think you'll also start to see, a, I think you could see a change in safety car rules where, and I've always been a proponent of this. If you have a 50-lap brace and you have a safety car for eight laps, that's only a 42-lap brace. I think if there's a safety car situation, you actually bring them back into the pits to stop the race, clear up the mess, and then restart. You can have a safety car restart. You don't have to have a, 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 a your standing restart, but you can certainly have a safety car restart. But I think suspending the race to allow the debris clear up and everything and allow you know a full quota of racing laps is an appropriate move to make. Yeah, and that's, so, uh, that's not without precedent. I mean, that's uh, the IndyCar series has done that before. Just a quick red, red flag near the edge of number one, have a green finish uh, without clicking off all the laps. Yeah, the, yeah difference I don't, I don't, here, the difference here is that, of course, with Formula One, it's like as soon as the red flag's lifted, they get going in, like in a lap. But IndyCar, it'll probably take about a lap or two, depending how things pan out. Like as you saw at Bell Iowa, Will Power, you, there's the possibility of stalling a car, or the car being fried is possible. Whereas Formula One, there's not you don't see that often because of how cars roll off different from other disciplines. Yeah, I don't, I, yeah, I, 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 potentially, but I, I think that if you put that rule in place, then people adapt to it. In Formula One, the resources are such that you can work around these potential issues. But I, I think it'll it'll. And I think one of the issues we've seen, and I think it's fascinating, the whole um, team to FAA radio that we're now hearing, which has only been around for 18 months or so, I think, in the sport. And it really shows the dynamic between the teams and Michael Massey. Now, one thing that I thought was completely out of order was when the virtual safety car came out uh, for... Giovinazzi's retirement, Toto Wolf was straight on the radio to Michael Massey, pressurizing him not to throw a full safety car. That's not acceptable. 
you should not have team principals pressurizing uh, race director to make race calls. They can ask for clarification of rules. They can ask why certain incidences were handled in the way they were, especially when there's gray areas involved. But I think that that sort of communication is totally unacceptable to turn around and say, don't do this. Well, no, that's sorry, Toto. It's not your call. And that I thought was really bad. And I think that makes, to my mind, some of the protestations that are coming from Mercedes a little bit two-faced. Well, you know, 10 laps before all this went down, you were, you were doing the same thing to, you know, you were putting pressure on the race director to make a certain decision. And now he's made another decision that you don't like. Well, now you've got a problem with that. You know, wh- where does that stop? Where does the book stop with, with, with those decision calls and that sort of behavior? Um, yeah, exactly. Well, I, you know, as I, you know, watch this thing a couple of times, uh, I really feel like that, you know, the better solution as to what they did, uh, you know, the track was clear realistically with three laps to go or two laps to go. Mm-hmm. I think they should have just went ahead and, and went green with two laps to go, leave the lap cars in place. Um, the result may have been the same, you know, mm-hmm. with, with Max, uh, with the mm-hmm. fast car and uh, uh, the soft tires. And, and I can't imagine any of the back markers wanting to hold them up and be the, you know, be the guy that, uh, uh, you know, he probably would have still had an opportunity to, uh, to catch up to Lewis and, and, and probably still take the win, but he would have earned it rather than the way where we move all the obstacles away and, and give them one lap. It's, it, it really stinks of let's hand this thing to Verstappen. You know what I mean? Of course there is. Of course there is that sort of thing. Exactly. Now, if, yeah. So, but if, if, if they had went, if went Verstappen, the lap early and left the lap cars there, uh, that we wouldn't have all this people being upset that it, it'd be, Hey man, heck of a drive by Max in those last couple of laps to get around those cars and, and, and take the win, you know, but that's, but, that's here's, just here's, but here's the other, the flip side of the argument. Unlike NASCAR and to a certain extent, IndyCar, Lap cars should not play a part in the race in form one. Lap cars should be should move out the way when you when you are within two seconds of or when you are two seconds less than two seconds ahead of a car you know that's about to lap you. You should have blue flags and move out the way. Now we know that that doesn't always happen. We know that some lap cars, especially when they were battling with each other don't or aren't always as quick as they should be to get out of the way. So that's why they have this rule in place to allow them to overtake and to get back round to the tail end, to remove the opportunity for, lap, for for this exact issue to occur, especially when these guys were battling with each other for position. So I understand. I, I, I think they made the right call in allowing them to pass. I think they should have done it a couple of laps earlier and let all of the cars pass. Then there wouldn't be any grey area here. Then Michael Massey could have turned around and said, "Look, I had this option available to me in the rule book. I took the option. End of story." The where Mercedes have beef is on a little bit of a technicality in a way. So, well, you only allowed five cars through. If you'd allowed all of the cars through when you did, they may have not got all the way back round, and we may not have been able to restart the race because they only let those lapped cars through half a lap before the race restarted. So if you'd allowed all of them to go through, you probably wouldn't have got the race restarted. So that's where the issue occurred. If that, if that decision had been made a couple of laps earlier, or 
there wasn't a decision to make. If the rules state at the start of the safety car's in-lap, because everybody pretty much knows when the safety car is coming in, the lap cars can start to overtake on the, you know, at the start of that lap. Then we wouldn't have had this situation. I don't. I personally don't think that. I. It was very unfortunate. But what would have happened if Verstappen hadn't pitted and was on hard at all the tyres? You know, there may not have been the issue. What would have happened if? Uh, what would have happened if Lewis also pitted? If Lewis had pitted, if Max wouldn't have done. And no, no, if they both let all those cars, they, they, would, have, they, would, have, they would never have done that. They would never have both pitted because exactly. he would have given up track yeah. position. So if, if Lewis had pitted, Max would have stayed out on the other tyres. Lewis would have come in and have the fresh rubber. And then if they'd allowed all the lap cars through, Lewis would have won the championship. Yeah, because Hamilton was just fast no matter what. So, what yeah. yeah so we saw it, that it was, all race. Was, you know, it was a typical, like, you know, Atlanta – you know, NASCAR race or whatever, or Phoenix, you know, a few years ago when Newman won, you know, what happens if you pit, you know, you're, if you're under those set of circumstances, if you are the first car, you know, you've got to make the call and you typically will never win because whatever call you make, it's going to, you know, but I think in this case, if they had pitted, it would have given, yeah, it would have given Max the track position. But Mercedes didn't know whether they would have allowed those lap cars back through. And I'm pretty certain that's what forced their hand. But again, that's where the rule book is open to interpretation. And Michael Massey is perfectly justified in implementing that interpretation into how he sees fit to allow the race to come to a natural conclusion. Um, but And he can't be seen to, you know, if he'd left those lapped cars there, then Red Bull would be screaming to say, well, you left those lapped cars there. You, you had the opportunity to allow a race to the end and you didn't allow that race to occur. So I, I, I think the, the criticism is unfair on Massey to a certain extent. I know why he's being criticised, but I think the bigger issue needs to go on the FIA's shoulder because they didn't give him, the, at the end of the day, all Michael Massey is doing is, He's a you know he's like a referee at a soccer game or a football game or an umpire at a baseball game or whatever. He is implementing the rules as he sees fit, and he did that. He didn't. He did that. Yeah, he did that to the to the and it's right in the sporting regulation that it's it is as the race director sees fit. Now, as some of the some of the things that other folks are saying, oh, they should have extended the race distance. I mean, well, no, you that's, can't do that. that's not in the rules. That is. That would really be Massey making up rules on the fly if we're going to do something yeah, like no precedent. We've seen we've seen instances where the lapse was cut prematurely over a botch checker flag moment, but not yeah, extend it. No, I mean if you if you um, if he'd red flagged the race, I think that would have been worse because that then again could have been considered manipulation. Because yes, those lap cars would have then had to have gone to the back of the grid. And, but then they'd be saying, oh, well, the red flagging the race when it wasn't a red flag situation. You know, there's no damage to the track. There was no damage to the, there's no injuries to Latifi, thankfully. So I, I think he was put in a very, very difficult position by the rules. The rules put Massey in a difficult position. And he did what he, the best he could do. And I, I understand a certain amount of the criticism, but, then, you know, the, he, he needed, the rules will need clarifying. Then the question is, what about Baku? When versus when that when the race was stopped that very very late in the race, what would because, be your side? Because the that? amount of because of the amount of debris on the track, it would have because it was on a racing situation. line. 
it was on the racing line and there's a lot of debris on there and, and yeah, they, they did drive through the pit lane, but it's the same argument. You know, um, if, if Hamilton hadn't screwed up that restart, he would have won the championship based on a decision by the, you know, the race director to stop the race. So they weren't complaining then, were they? I mean, if, you know, I mean, they, they were, well, they weren't complaining. They were, you know, Hamilton screwed up and cost himself the win and Checo ended up winning. But, you know, so, yeah, it's right. You're right. This is what I think will happen. We will see this going forward. I think you will see a, the rule book in for, if, sporting regulations, not the rule book, because there are two different things. The sporting regulations changed and updated to clarify these situations and say, in this set of circumstances, this is what will happen. Now, we're not trying to turn this into NASCAR, where... You know, you throw it down a portion because that's not how Formula One race. You know, Formula One races should be decided by the fastest car. Now, you could argue that Hamilton was the fastest car that weekend. Now, I mean, if we not wanting to to diverge, but if we we take a step back here and look at you know the, the period, you know, look at the season as a whole, I would probably say that it was close, but Verstappen just about edged it in terms of. And I don't want to use the word deserving the championship because I hate that phrase because at the end of the day, Max got the most points, so he deserved the championship. But looking on performance, and if you take points out of it, you're looking on driving and, and results um, and, and speed, I would put Verstappen just ahead by a, you know, in, in horse racing terms, it would be a photo finish, but I would have put Verstappen just ahead. However, you look at Hamilton's performances post-Brazil, or post-Mexico, going into Brazil, Qatar, Saudi Arabia, and Abu Dhabi, I don't think we will ever see four races of such dominance by an individual driver. He, I know he had this super engine that appeared in Brazil and all this sort of stuff, and you can, you can you know, give Mercedes a huge amount of credit for that. But the guy... For those four races, was phenomenal. As Red Bull had been, you know, the five or six races ahead of that, where Verstappen sort of stretched out that lead. But for those last four races, wow. I mean, we can look back on those, and it was incredible. The performance that Hamilton put in, especially in Brazil, you know, it was unbelievable. Qatar was dominant. Saudi was a bit of a heesh. Well, yeah, Saudi was Saudi. But then again, you know, Hamilton dominated that race. You know, you can't, there's no two ways about it. Now, if, if Verstappen had been able to keep that lead at the start of the race, who knows what would have happened. But I, I think Hamilton would have got past because he was that much quicker. Oh, he was that much so quicker it, all day. Yeah, I mean, compared to, yeah, uh, compared to Lewis on, on the day, uh, you know, Max was nowhere to be found. No. You know what I mean? So, but, yeah, he, but at the, at the he, end of the day, like say, had Lewis driven at that level, he's driven the last five, six weeks all season long, this championship wouldn't even be close. Well, I think if Mercedes had given him the engine. True. Because that was that engine. You, you look at it and that engine that they, he's had for three of those last four, I don't think he had that engine in Qatar. I think he had it in Brazil, uh, Saudi and, um, Bar- and Abu Dhabi. Yeah. That engine. That's, wow. That's I mean, whew. now I'm sure 
that isn't the engine mode and the specification that Mercedes would want to run over six or seven races, uh, whatever the, the typical engine life is. You know, that's not how they want to push an engine for that. You know, they knew they had this race, this engine's got to do three races. And, you know, we know that Brazil is probably the one where we can really attack. Um, and we know that it's going to be good at Saudi, you know, useful at Saudi, where they have that long full throttle stretch. And, you know, we may go into um, um, Abu Dhabi needing to win and we need the power. But again, this will have, this wouldn't have been planned the week before Brazil. Going, hey boys, we need to deliver a really good engine. Here. This would have been planned months ago and a natural development to give them the opportunity, and they used it and they utilized it. So it, it has been such a tight championship and such a close run event that um, yeah, it's a shame it had to end really, and it's a shame it ended in, in the way it did. It, it really is. I, I I understand where people are frustrated at that, but I do think that by the skin of his teeth, Max deserved the championship um, through his just general performance. Um, and I think that actually in a, in a sort of unfortunate way, the incidents and the events of, of certainly a Saudi Arabia and Abu Dhabi will force the FIA and the stewards and the race directors to look at how they implement these rules how they design circuits and, and move forward from there. Now, you know, uh, looking at some of the circuits as well, you look at Abu Dhabi and, and Dubai, especially, you know, if you had gravel traps on the exit of those chicanes, a lot of the driving and a lot of the, um, you know, a lot of contention that we've had would never have existed. You know, they'd be stuck in the gravel trap. You know, Hamilton would never have been able to cut the corner like he did. Um, you know, some of the events we saw at Saudi would never have happened. Um, so I, I, I think that we need to look at that. You know, I know there's the concept that these big flat AstroTurf runoff areas are safer and, and the like. But sometimes I, I, I don't know if it is. I don't know if it benefits the racing. I think that there needs to be a bigger penalty when cars leave the track. And I think you do that naturally rather than from a steward's perspective. And we talked about this last weekend or last week. Oh yeah. We've talked about it a lot uh, over the last year or so. All right. So I guess the real question now going into next year, everyone's going to have, uh, uh, you know, the new rules, new cars. Mm -hmm. um, and so really need to see how Lewis bounces back from this defeat. Yeah. I mean, um, we spoke, I mean, I, I mean I, he I, handled I it. He handled it quite well right there in person. I don't know. I how think he, he handled it better than everybody else. Didn't they? I think Certainly, yeah, for, yeah, the yeah. for the most, yeah, compared to, compared to Toto for the most I thought part. Toto, I mean, I, I, you know, I know it's emotion, but I thought Toto was pretty damn embarrassing with some of the antics. Certainly, yeah. and, and of course there's, there's some yeah. talk of, you know, Mercedes hiring some lawyers to try to, but, but I, no. I, I personally, I, I don't think, see that going anywhere. Even I don't, they, even I don't want do. this to turn to a suit battle because that's the thing that I rated me more is because this turned yeah, into yeah, a that, battle. That'll, that'll just serve to is, tarnish, tarnish the sport even more. Yeah, so this, I, I don't see any of that happening. But but yeah, I'm just strictly next year, next year. So we've got Max going and defending. Um, mm -hmm. You know, Lewis with a, admittedly a little bit of a chip on his shoulder here. Uh, but the big unknown is the cars. You know what I mean? We yeah. would expect Mercedes to, uh, you know, be. Very, very good out of the box. We would expect Red Bull to probably be pretty good out of the box, but you got some wild cars out there. I mean, I mean, does Ferrari get this one right? 
uh, the first yeah. time, right? Does, does, uh, you know, McLaren has been imp- improving a lot. Does McLaren come fresh out of the box with a, uh, a 2022 spec car that is just uh, phenomenal? You know, this. Uh, I'll tell you who I would, I'll tell you who I think is going to be the big, and I, I'm not going to guarantee it, but I, I, I've got a sneaking suspicion, sneaking suspicion that Alpine will be good next year. I think of all oh, the certainly, yeah, that's that's the other wild card that there, yeah. sort of mid mid pack this year and sort of I I think that Alpine could um pull a rabbit out of the hat though. I mean, you know, especially with Alonso there, you know, I still rate him. I know he's you know he's the wrong side of 40 uh, from a, in a sporting context, but I still rate him as a driver, I still rate him as what he can do. And Ocon is 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 certainly no slouch and proven. He's redeemed you know, himself big time. Yeah, I don't know if redeemed is the right word, but I think he's proven that. Because I don't think he's ever, I don't, I don't think there's ever a question of his space, of his pace. I just think there's a bit of a question of his attitude. And I think he's proven that he's matured and he's now in a position where he can be, a, I don't hate using this phrase, a proper Formula One driver. You know, you've seen lots of guys come through on Akon's level that, you know, just don't cut it, not because of pace, but because of attitude. And I'm, I'm you know, thinking of Pascal Verlain, prime example. Very, very fast driver. From all, from all the comments I've heard, a complete arsehole to work with. You know, um, and, and some other drivers have been in the same ilk as that. But Ocon sort of matured a little bit, I think. And I think the time away that he had for a year or two there really did benefit him. Um, and now I think he's... He, he's I'm not going to say a championship caliber driver, but certainly he, he, he's impressed a lot of people this year. Yeah. And, and then of course, then the other big wild card is uh, Lewis with a, a young hungry teammate. Yeah. George, yeah, so, yeah. So you've got the George Russell in there in the, in the Mercedes mm-hmm. wanting to do well. I mean, I don't know, <laughs> you know, how, uh, uh, if Mercedes will stifle him or, or, or ask him to get back and, and play the good number two. But uh, I think no. that, uh, you no, know, Lewis, Lewis's biggest competition might come from within his own team. I don't think Mercedes have ever done that in the way that Red Bull and Ferrari have. I don't think in Mercedes, there is this clear one, two uh, role, unless it gets this point of the championship where, you know, they do what they need to do. And, 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 you know, Valtteri was very good at that. You know, he, you know, he knew which way his bread was buttered. And if he had an opportunity to win a race, he would take it. But he knew that if, you know, when when it got to the sharp end of the season and the chances are he wouldn't be involved in the battles, which I don't think he ever really was, uh, he would yield to Hamilton and act that supporting role. And he did a fantastic job at it. I don't think you're going to see that with George. I really, truly don't. I think that he's... Let's put it this. This is my take on it anyway. Valtteri was was bought into Mercedes to be a stopgap or to be a filler whilst they worked out what was going to happen after Rosberg left suddenly. They didn't have a plan. You know, they didn't have a plan of, oh, what was if Rosberg win the championship and then quits the following day? You know, this was a, Oh, what do we do now? Uh, well, I'm Toto Wolf. I'm the team principal of Mercedes, and I'm also Valtteri Bottas's manager. We supply Williams with some engines. Oh, this is all going to work out really, really well. And I think Valtteri probably ended up there longer than he expected to be. You know, he did a job. He did what was asked for him. That's not the case with George. George has been promoted. They could have kept Valtteri. 
for another year or two, and it wouldn't have hurt anybody. You know, Valtteri would have done the same thing he's done the last two or three years, won a couple of races, done his due diligence, collected a really nice, fat, hefty paycheck, and done what he needed to do. That's not George Russell. George Russell is, in Toto Wolff and Mercedes' eyes, he is Lewis Hamilton's heir apparent. And that's his job. And if George goes in there and plays second fiddle to Lewis, it's never going to work. George has to go in there and beat Lewis and push him. And the same thing goes for Verstappen in a way. If Verstappen hadn't won the championship and Lewis had won number eight, and, you know, Lewis is at his peak still. Now, who's to say he would be in that position in a year's time with George? So say George comes in and, 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 competes with Lewis and stops Lewis from winning a ninth world championship and, Val- and, and, and Max goes in and wins that. Great. But there'll still be this, there would have been this doubt in the back of Verstappen's mind. I never beat Hamilton when he was at his peak. Now, I'm not saying that's not going to happen next year. I'm not going to say that Lewis isn't going to be back at his peak next year and beat Max. But I just think that this was the opportune moment that Max had to take if he hadn't won the championship this year and maybe Hamilton wasn't at his best next year, there would have always been this little niggle in the back of Max's mind. It was like, did I, did I beat him, you know, when he was at the top of his game? You know, it's almost like golfers that won tournaments when Tiger Woods has been injured. You know, they probably always sat there thinking, well, if Tiger wasn't injured, maybe I wouldn't have won. You know, and it's a pretty horrible thing for them. But I think that's the same. You know, Max now knows that he's beaten Hamilton, arguably the best driver, or at least in the top five best drivers in the history of the sport. And he's beaten him in a fair one-on-one battle. And I think next year is going to be a fantastic dynamic to see what Russell does. And I, I, I you know what? I would not surprise me if Russell doesn't beat Hamilton next year. It would not surprise me. It would not surprise me. I, th- I think yeah. Russell is Russell. Like he's young. He's very talented. He's very good. Mm-hmm. You know, once he's once he's comfortable within that team and, and the way the team operates, uh, you know, again, like you said, heir apparent to Lewis Hamilton because Lewis it, it, Lewis doesn't have a lot left to prove. He either owns or no. shares nearly every record in Formula One. So, it, but anyway, we the question. Sorry, real, the, sorry real quick. quickly. So the question is from Hamilton. Where does he go now? As we spoke about this, you know, I mentioned this earlier, you know, a few weeks ago throughout the year. Where does Hamilton go now? He's 35, 36, and he's now got to go away, re-engage himself, almost like he did with Rosberg. You know, he's got to now go away. And now Rosberg pulled the ultimate ace and quit. So Rosberg, never, Hamilton never had a chance to beat Rosberg. Now he does with Max. But does he have that, I'm not going to say desire, because I'm sure the desire is there, but we're talking about such fine margins here, you know, points of a percent here that Hamilton and Verstappen have been running at this year. You know, was was Lewis at 99.8% this year? Is there another 2.2% you can get out of himself? Or was he at 100%? You know, and, and can he maintain that? I, oh, I can't, you know, this is me, we're, we're, we're two days out of the championship and I can't wait for next year already. It's going to be amazing to see that dynamic. It really is. And just that, the level that these guys can work at. 
No, for sure. If anything, with Russell and Mercedes, if at worst, it could be Vettel, 09, and Red Bull have a rough skip but get it together as the season progresses. Because that's what happened with Vettel when he went to Red Bull. That And some people say had a nubbit for that rough skip, he probably would have won the championship in 09 over Button. But we'll never know. Yeah, 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 possibly. And of course, yeah. We so, guys, we've, we've, we've just we've just got a few minutes left. We've taken up a lot of space with Formula One. But let's just bang out some of these uh, other uh, news stories that uh, that are happening this week uh, before we get off the air. Um, number one, let's talk about uh, NBC has announced that uh, Paul Tracy will no longer be in the booth. Um, you know, it's up in the air whether or not Paul Tracy was fired or whether it was mutual. But, uh, I mean, either way, Paul is moving on. He's probably going to uh, pursue some uh, racing things. I think he's got a couple of lines in IMSA as well as doing the um, Tony Stewart series again. Uh, and kind of related to that news is uh, James Hinchcliffe announced his uh, intent to walk away from full-time IndyCar racing. Um and uh, semi-retire from the sport. He said, walk away from full-time competition. Although you can read into that, there were no rides available that didn't require funding and he wasn't able to get funding. But uh, but the hot rumor puts him in Paul Tracy's spot at NBC in the broadcast booth, which, uh, you know, uh, James has done some work uh, with NBC, uh, some of the broadcasts, some of the Indy Lights broadcast uh, and, and some of the... Uh, uh, the pre-race and qualifying shows and those sort of things. So uh, that may be a good career move for Hinch. Hopefully he finds an Indy 500 ride. Um, speaking of Indy 500 rides, uh, Dry Reinbold announced their lineup for the 2022 Indy 500, which will be uh, Sage Karam and Santino Ferrucci. So a uh, couple of uh, pretty young, talented guys there in those cars. Um, and Louise, you were telling me, uh, Colleg Racing announced their lineup. Uh, they'll have uh, AJ Allmendinger, uh, Noah Gregson, and Daniel Hemrick sharing their cup car. Yep, the number um, 16 car was seen, right? Yep, Allmendinger was already announced that he was going to run a limited cup schedule for 2022. The only one that was confirmed full time in one of the cars was Justin Haley, and the now yet to be determined number because the rule is if you're going to have a full time car. To have a charter, you must have a driver run every single. You must have a car that runs all 36 races. Of course, when the initial deal was announced, Almendinger, there was two cars. Would one of them, Almendinger, being part time? with the other drivers yet to be announced? Today, we finally know it's going to be the reigning Xfinity champion Daniel Hemrick and the polarizing Noah Gregson, where he'll run the majority of the schedule of that 16 car. Time will tell if this will ram- it'll have ramifications as far as rookie of the year status when he eventually should go to cup full time. Should he end up going full time in the foreseeable future? But we'll see how that dynamic goes between Dinger, Gregson, and Hembrick because they could put a decent running for that. I, I, this is one of those things we need Seth on this to remind me if this applies for cuts. I know at Xfinity and Trucks. A, a, you can have an all-star lineup in one car and can win the championship for like we've seen with the 22 Penske and the eight and the Joe Gibbs 54 over the years. I'm not sure how that applies to come, but I imagine it does work the same, but I need to yeah, look that up to, next week. Call Seth. He'll know. Um, yeah. So, but yeah. And then also 
In other news, there's be more Gen 6, I mean, not Gen 6, next-gen testing at Charlotte. So we'll see how this time it will go around. Bubba Wallace will have Wheaties on the 23 car, and Discount Tire will also expand to Ryan Blaney and Team Penske, not just with the two-car of Austin Cindric. Right, and also Formula One is beginning their young driver testing and their mule car testing. Uh, we saw that in day one of testing, uh, Nick DeVries was uh, fastest uh, in the Mercedes. Uh, Pot of Award um, out of IndyCar was given a uh, chance to drive the um, the McLaren Formula One car, and he's if you see uh, uh, if you follow Pato on social media and see some of his reactions, uh, really fun to watch. Uh, he was kind of blown away with. Uh, his experience driving a modern formula one car. So uh, yeah, that, that looks, that looks pretty fun. Uh, so, I mean, with that being said, uh, we are out of time. Uh, we will join you next week. Next week we'll be doing our season ending show where we'll make our bold predictions for next year. So you two guys think about that. We'll see if we can yeah. scare, scare up a guest or two to join us. But, uh, but until then, I want to thank the Hoobazoo radio network and I want to thank speaker iHeartRadio iTunes and YouTube. And I want to thank you folks that uh, listen to us week in and week out, but until next week, good night. With the lucky land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandslots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.